Thanks for joining us today on the NCMI podcast. Proclaiming the Word of God is what God has called us to do. And what a wonderful privilege it is. At a church planters and lead elders training week, Greg Garrett, who leads New Day Church in Edenvale, Johannesburg, South Africa, spoke about how we can all become better preachers. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and visit our website, ncmi.net, for more resources like this one. All right. Hello, everybody. Are you all doing well? Okay, so I was asked to, to talk to you a little bit on the subject of preaching. Now, obviously, um, we're not going to be looking at um, preaching methodology. I'm, I'm going to try and do everything I can in half an hour, maybe 40 minutes, and then uh, I want to open it up. And then if you've if you got no questions, I've got no answers, we're going to go for early lunch, uh, early coffee. Is that fair? All right, because I don't want to just use up the time for the sake of using it up. And there's a lot you can say. Uh, we're going to go through a couple of the notes, but again, I wrote some extra pages, which I've already sent to Glenn. He'll give you guys. Uh, so I've made supplementary notes to the ones that are going to be in front of you. So page 136 about preaching. It says, your preaching is pivotable. Okay, a lot that goes on in pulpits is not preaching. A lot of true preaching doesn't actually happen in a pulpit. Uh, underline this next sentence. Christianity primarily spreads through preaching. And the text given is Luke 8 verse 5. A farmer went out to sow the word. When you preach, you are getting something done. You don't explain how seeds are sown. You don't show people the principle of sowing a seed, you actually sow a seed. I made a note on that. Because when you preach, you are depositing something into somebody's life. You're not just there to occupy time and space. Real preaching, underlined, does not just explain God to us. Real preaching has us confronted by God. We are presented by a God to believe in. Preaching is serious. You turn the page, tells you there what you've got to look at, look at with preaching. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul's quick description of preaching. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction or deep conviction. That's what preaching does. And we're going to handle it in a moment because some of you will say, well, my personality type doesn't lend itself to that. Now, I want to say to you that God knew that before he called you to preach, but the objective of preaching is the point. Don't ever hide behind your personality. Don't hide behind your limitation, your, you know, I'm an A-type personality, or I'm this, or I'm that, I'm introverted, I'm extroverted. None of that washes when it comes to preaching. Because when it comes to preaching, you sometimes even have to be, in a sense, transformed by the Holy Spirit because you are a mouthpiece. You are not just an echo or something. You are a mouthpiece for God. And I'll talk, I'll talk, if you want to, a little bit on how you can become more of that mouthpiece for God. And so there's two things it talks about. You're going to see there sound words and powerful words, and we're going to spend a bit of time on that. Before that, let me just say this. You can literally, this is not in your notes, but these are the notes that I'll get to you. You can literally build your church and grow your church on your growing preaching gift. If you look at why somebody would bring, somebody knows someone else who doesn't know Jesus. The reason often they bring them to your church is that they can come under the preaching of the word which convicts them of both their sin and, their, and who Jesus is and causes a response to him. Okay. So when you preach as a mouthpiece of God, you've got to understand that you can 
build into your church, you can grow your church through a preaching gift. Undoubtedly, much of the forward momentum of a church happens through the regular Sunday preaching slot. It's a big reason people keep on coming back. Until someone is slotted into your church and you ask them, why are you coming back? Ask them, is it the children's church? Is it the fellowship? Is it the worship? Is it the preaching? Invariably, they'll tell you they make their decision on the preaching. Why? Because they need to be fed with the word. And you're gonna see it as the second last point on the notes, there is prophetic preaching. Where a person receives a now and relevant word that speaks into their lives, giving direction, comfort, guidance, encouragement to them. The biggest churches have the most powerful or effective preachers. It's not by accident. And it's a skill that can be learned and can be honed over many, many years. There are basic dynamics that need to be mastered. If you can picture it for a moment, good preaching flows from the heart of the Father by the Holy Spirit straight into your heart and your mind. Is that right? So God the Father, remember Jesus said, when he the Spirit comes, he won't speak on his own. He will hear from heaven and he'll give you that. So if you're a preacher, it means you're waiting on God. The Father speaks to the Spirit. The Spirit will speak to your heart, how you feel, and he'll speak to your mind as to what you need to say. Then, he begins to engage your personality, your style, and your gifting. And then through you, he takes seed that gets sown into people's hearts by you as the farmer. How does the process start? You've got to spend time with the Lord. He drip feeds into your spirit by his voice and also by the scriptures. Your preaching content isn't limited to what you read, i.e. I just opened my Bible today to Psalm 67 about the blessing of God and I realized I need to preach on the blessing of God. He also talks about what you perceive, what you hear, what you feel. The Lord will speak to you. I find weeks in advance, he starts to put things into my heart where the Father has spoken through the Spirit to me, engages my heart, engages my mind, my thinking goes, I start writing little notes down, and then by the time the delivery comes, he comes through my personality, who I am, how I'm wired, in order to communicate to the people standing in front of me. Just three little things to watch out for quickly, just as an aside, lazy prep. We'll talk about it just now. Please don't just take the notes of others. Okay, beware lazy prep, because you've got to hear from God. It's not good enough to just open your Bible and say, well, this has to be biblical because I'm reading the text. You've got to be hearing God. A friend of mine who shall remain nameless invited another friend to his church to preach. And it it was a good word, but it wasn't, it just didn't hit the straps. And they just felt something. Anyway, went to the media team the next day and said, right, we need to get a cover for the preacher that was preached, you know, there's the heading, we need to work out some design for it, so why don't you just get on the thing and find something we can use uh, as a backdrop for the, and when they did, that preach actually came up on sermons.net or sermons.com, whatever, word for word, same illustration, same everything. Now, I'm just saying, be careful with lazy preaching. Don't expect God to anoint what you haven't dug out for yourself. Also, just a little hint, Don't get at individuals through the preach. You know, sometimes you preach and you're actually aiming it at that one, that one, and that one because you think they need to hear it the most. Just be careful when you do your preach that you're not aiming at individuals. Somehow they seem to pick it up. And also, and this is something I've had to look at, don't take your current mood into the pulpit. Sometimes a little bit of self-control is a good thing. 
I've gone in there sometimes. I'm so wired. I'm so fired up. I'm just going to blast this word and everything in front of me is just going to get mowed down by the word of God. Do you know there was a time Jesus took three apostles, three of them, up the mountain with him. He transfigured in front of them, then said to them, when we go down, don't tell anyone what you've seen. And my principle for that is minister to people from where they're at, don't minister from where you're at. Because you've had all week, you've been sitting with God, you literally floated into the room, you know, you farted perfume, you've been so full of God that you get there and the next minute you just blast a whole lot of people out there, they're not ready for it, you haven't read the moment, you haven't read the people, you haven't read where you are, be careful when you minister, don't just take, which I sometimes do, don't just take your current mood into the pulpit, you know, something happened on the way to church and you just, anything in your way is going to get sorted out, you know, you don't want to do that. All right, under sound words, we should ask ourselves, page 137, what is our primary responsibility for preaching? And then they gave you three examples. Are you trying to find God-given vision? Are you trying to help the church grow, heal, and mature? Are you trying to create a place where non-Christians feel very comfortable? Whatever it is, you don't use the Bible to achieve any of those goods. Is that right? You don't use the Bible to achieve an aim that you've set out. You allow the Bible to speak for itself and what themes it comes up with are the themes you go with. That's what we call expository preaching. It's the ability to allow the scriptures to be the final voice because you can unfortunately make the scriptures say anything. Satan did it to Adam and he did it to Jesus. Took actual words from God and just twisted them a little bit. And you find when you get into your more thematic preaching, um, where where you're looking at topical preaching, etc., you run a bigger risk there, where you know what you want to say, and certain texts can say that, but they can also say something else. The safest way of preaching, which we'll get onto, is to study the text itself and allow it to be the loudest voice and allow it to draw its conclusions. I started a series in the book of uh, Ephesians once. And it took me two and a half years. It's only six chapters. took me two and a half years at New Day to get through Ephesians. And I must be honest, I did chapter six in about six weeks, which I felt was a total travesty because I was going word by word and phrase by phrase, et cetera, et cetera. But I think we literally covered the the whole counsel of God because you know what what, uh, Ephesians does in six chapters is what Romans does in 16 chapters. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was asked, what do you do when you finish studying Ephesians? He said, start again. Because the whole Bible is in six small chapters. Everything you ever need to know is in six chapters of of Ephesians. And I found everything, that every theme possible to think of came out of the text itself. So every other week, like Greg, you're preaching there and you're preaching there, but you're using the same text because the text does the talking, not you and I. So what do we preach? Uh, Let's see if I've got some other points I wanna make on that. Okay, Uh, this section covers uh, accurate content. Always remember you are a mouthpiece long before you're an opinion or an echo of somebody else. And I wanna say this, when it talks about sound words, when it talks about what do you preach about, I need to make this sentence to you. Your sound words or your sense of conviction, your fire, if you like, comes straight from what you truly believe about God's plan and about his mission for you. Everything you preach is gonna come out of your sense of what is God's plan. 
and what is his mission for me? Because remember, God has an eternal plan and he drops you in between the years, in my case, 1971 and whatever. Between those years, he drops me and a whole lot of people in and he's gonna drop a whole lot of people in after me and he dropped a whole lot of people in before me. He has a long-term plan and I have a short-term mission in that plan and those two getting them right is what fires me to do what I do. It's that sense of calling. You wanna know, what's my vision as a church? What is my, how many of you know in the year 2020, a whole lot of people talked about vision, remember? This is the year of vision, 2020. Well, that went to hell because COVID struck. There was no 2020. In fact, you closed your church. So where was the vision there? And where were the prophets? Everyone's saying, God's gonna give you 2020 vision. He did actually, because he helped us really see where we were messing up and showing us where we needed to pay attention, yes. But where do you get your, you know, what's our plan, our goals for this year, now this and our that? Please don't ever get seduced away from what God's plan is. Because we co-work with him. We don't do something and ask him to bless it. And it's gonna come through in your preaching. And so, what do we preach? Acts 20, 27, Paul says he teaches the whole counsel of God. Talks to Timothy, he says he preaches the word. And they give us some lovely texts here. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23. We preach about a crucified Christ. I underline that. We preach a crucified Christ. The main subject of preaching in the New Testament is Christ and him crucified. What does that mean? When these folks put this book together, what are they trying to tell us? If we preach Christ and him crucified. How do you find God's plan and your mission in God's plan if you don't center on the big picture of what's going on around you? So in the notes that I'm gonna give you, your content needs to be accurate and soaked in the plan of God for planet Earth. There are some basics every time before you preach. There are some basics that you need to be convinced of. The big picture of how God's story fits together. Creation, fall, redemption, and finally the resurrection of the dead. That's God's plan. He created us, there was a fall, he needed an act of redemption in order to draw us back to himself. That is the skeleton upon which your mission rests. You don't have a mission outside of this. Anything you preach that doesn't focus on this, you're wasting everybody's time. Because you don't wanna get people knowing the actual true Hebrew word for the ark means this, unless it fits creation, fall, redemption, final resurrection of the dead. The key life themes of brokenness, hopelessness, passion, direction, hope, family, meaning will infuse your content in a way that enables you to connect with people that the Lord brings to you in terms of what you have to say. What I'm trying to say by that is, we're just in a space at the moment for the last few years. I do not remember the last time we ever had a Sunday where people didn't get saved. I don't remember. This Sunday I think was seven, the Sunday before was 11, the Sunday, I don't know when it was. Because one of the things that we believe is that people have felt needs that Jesus goes to meet. We are convinced that they have felt needs that Jesus wants to meet. People don't come to church because they're looking for something else to do on a Sunday. The fact that your friends have been inviting people to church and they actually arrive. The reason they've, they've, they've arrived is because there's a need there. And if you're not aware of what that felt need is, you're gonna miss them. So you've got to know something of the big life themes that people are battling with right now. 
the insecurities and the uncertainties. And into that, you have another set of biblical key themes that you own in your heart. You don't have to write any of this down. I'll get you the notes. The key biblical themes of relationship, judgment, salvation, sacrifice, atonement, grace, mercy, love, hope, redemption, eternity, forgiveness, they become the main themes of your preaching. So in other words, you know what people need. You know where they're hurting even if they don't. And then you meet it by bringing in the great themes of scripture. You need to own them because we cannot be seduced by a world that's helping people with a self-help program, making people feel better about themselves. It's impossible. No one can feel better about themselves, but they can be healed and get a new view of themselves that God wants to give them. And so if you wanna preach, these are the themes, the content of scripture that you need to constantly be reviewing in yourself and in your mind. And I'm telling you, even if someone is saved 20 years, they need revelation on some of these things again. And so your preaching always lifts up the supremacy of Christ. It lifts up the supremacy of Christ. What am I trying to say by that statement? Who is he? Who is he? A guy, so, so we, we're doing that uh, gifted thing like so many of the churches are doing. So I had to fill my, my, my next Wednesday night thing this morning before I got here. And the guy, my camera guy doing all our stuff for us said to me, you know, Greg, the church I came out of, he said, I was not only a deacon, I was an area supervisor, I was this, I'd done the whole Bible school course, Bible college, I had all the qualifications, and I walked into this church, and I realized after four weeks of being with you, I knew everything about Jesus, I just didn't know Jesus. He shared it with me this morning. And this is a man I was in the army with in 1991. Our beds were opposite each other. He just found his way to our church. And what I wanna to say to you, and I said this the other day when I talked about walking with the apostolic team, is that one of the things you have to understand is there is no substitute for knowing who is Jesus to you. One of my big things I work through, if he's the good shepherd, when's the last time he broke my heart? When's the last time he spoke to me about me? When's the last time he just showed me some of the stuff going on? Because I need to know he still cares. An absent father in your own home. I've got three boys and I'm very busy and one left for camp today and it's, things are crazy at home. Vanessa's got your end with her auditors and all the rest of it. And in the midst of that, do you know how easy it is not to pay attention to my boys and let them run off and do what they want? Absentee father means I'm not spending time with them. I'm not seeing where they are. I'm not recognizing it. My question is, in my leading the church, in my standing up in front of people and our eldership team of 11 guys and, and, and all the rest of the stuff I do, am I still in the place where I I know who he is. I'm growing in him. Did I have an adequate expression of him with me this morning? Because how can I get up as a mouthpiece or a friend of the groom if I'm not hanging with the groom? Because the people in the church are gonna pick up like this. If you're delivering a sermon or if you've just been with him and you're gonna share what he's gotta say. Who is he to you? Why do you need him? I've been leading 27 years, I'm saved 32. I need Jesus right now more than I have last year and I know I don't need him as much as I will next year. Talking to someone the other day and I said, the old adage is so true. The man who says a job well done never needs repeating has obviously never weeded a garden. Because I wanna tell you, stuff crops up all the time. As mature as you think you are in Jesus, things crop up all the time that need to be weeded out of our gardens. And if we do not 
live and demonstrate that that's true for us, spiritual pride arises in our people. So who is he to me? And secondly, why do I need him? And can the people see that I still need him every day? If he's my fresh bread, if he's the water of life, do I look like I draw from him? Or if I move past that, I'm so professional. Number three about lifting up the supremacy of Christ is how do we respond to him? How do we respond to him? You will see when you do lead a church, your phone suddenly rings all the time. And people have issues and people have things and they're coming to you. And how do you help them to respond to him? And remember, in a lot of cases, you can't get to them, you can't counsel. You have to teach on the Sundays. In your key moment that you get to minister to people, you have to equip them to walk with him, not to have to lean on you. And it's a difficult skill to learn. And then the last one under the supremacy of Christ is what does he demand of me? What does he demand of me? How many people do you know in scripture that Jesus either appeared to or ministered to or spoke to and at the end of the conversation wanted nothing from them? None. He demanded a response from every single person he ever touched. He demanded a response. And part of lifting up the supremacy of Christ is demanding his response from people. The eternal realities of heaven and hell, of acceptance from God or rejection from him is carried in your heart and your mind so that you never, ever lose the focus and the urgency of your call. Now, I'm saying that because I remember in our first three years of leading a church in our school hall, there were almost no visitors ever. And there's nothing more heartbreaking than doing an altar call when you know everyone's here, everyone's in a home group, everyone goes to prayer meeting, half the church are the leaders, and you still throw an altar call with one eye open because you just gotta keep putting that word out there and keep getting used to it and, and all that stuff. You know how easy it is to get discouraged when you think it's the same faces, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I remember those days, it's very difficult. And what keeps you focused is the urgency of your call that there are eternal realities of heaven and hell. And you, it needs to be, Jesus did what he did because he wanted to bring people to a relationship with the Father because if they did not accept the Father, they would suffer the rejection later on. It motivated everything he did. And when you prepare to walk into that space, you open up an evangelistic heaven over yourself and over your church where there's purpose to what you do and why you do it. You don't just do an interesting series. There's gotta be a sharp edge to why you're doing what you're doing. You've gotta be convinced. Is that okay? Okay, how we preach it. The bottom of page 138, you can turn the page. All right, expository preaching. Third sentence, I just underlined, stick to the Bible. Fourth paragraph, I just underlined, expository preaching is to bring out what is there. That's the key, bringing out what's there. Next line, next uh, thing. Sometimes the text will call, I've, I've circled that. Sometimes the text will call 
for people to know something, to believe something, or to do something. It's the text that demands what we say. Friends, don't use the Bible to make a point, please. Allow the Bible to make its own point and you endorse that because that's where the anointing comes through. Is that right? Your notes, uh, this is my little notes here. Your notes lean heavily into expository preaching. I fully agree. Too many preachers lean into favorite or comfortable themes and they neglect the great themes of the Bible. Obvious point, let the Bible text give the points, the emphasis, the direction of your preach. The anointing flows when you simply endorse what God is already saying. That is how faith is released. One of the things you've got to say about how do you preach, friends, you have to study properly. And I'm, I'm not going to teach on this now, but I'll stop in about uh, eight minutes or so, and then you can ask questions on that if you want to. But you have to study properly. There's no shortcut to a preach. My experience is that, not, in my own experience, in Greg's experience, no sermon can be prepared in less than eight to 12 hours. That's my rule of thumb. I don't generally take more than 12, but I certainly never take less than eight hours per sermon. And like this week, I'm doing four different ones. And so I was working last night, Lopez night, the other night there. You just do what you do. You have those concertina weeks where you've just got to get in there, study it, get it in, etc., etc. There's no shortcuts to prep. Your research needs to follow a combination of what you prophetically feel the Lord is saying and the hours of research on the text you're using. Read good commentaries, uh, good sermons already preached by others of good reputation. Consult different versions of the Bible, Bible dictionaries, commentaries, devotionals that cover that theme. Read widely so that you have your facts straight. If you're gonna throw a scripture in, in your preaching, make sure that that is what the text says. Do you know how many times I've sat there listening to a guy preach and I know for a fact that the scripture he's using has got nothing to do with what he says it has. And they're so lazy that they haven't bothered to look at the text itself. Can I be honest? I have no authority outside of the text. None at all. Just as an aside, have an interest in current affairs. Read the news, good articles on current ideologies. Always be reading a couple of good theology and leadership books. I'd say at least a chapter a day. Somewhere from the time you woke up till the time you go to bed, make sure you find a chapter of a book to read if you're a preacher. You gotta get stuff in your head and you gotta get stuff in your heart. I still subscribe to Time Magazine. And I look and I read little articles and leadership books and I'm always reading and studying something. And of course, I love history. So I'm always reading some or other book on history because for me it's important. Let your research be thorough. Don't ever be lazy in your research, okay? Uh, bottom of page 139, preparation is a lifetime of work. I underlined that. Preparation is a lifetime of work. Next page at the top, it takes a huge amount of work to try and figure out what the Bible actually says and if you're right. And God, tell you something interesting. I dare you to preach a theme and five years later, go back and preach that same theme. I dare you. And then go five years later and preach the same theme again. I dare you. You know what's gonna happen? You'll find that your interpretation of those passages change as your revelation changes. 
as you grow in Christ. But can I tell you that you will never get to the place where you're seeing something completely different from what the text itself actually says. So I always second guess myself by using conservative theologians and I read a, a little kind of across the board. I've got the Olive Tree app. I've probably, I think I've got like 32 commentaries on it. I'll pick six or seven and see what those guys say on the exact same thing before I'm prepared to put my head on a block on what that thing says. And you do it by phrase, you do it by scripture, you do it by passage, you're eight to 12 hours. When you get up there, you're fairly convinced. Then, to hold myself accountable, every elder, every deacon, and every leader of any kind in our church get a full set of my notes after the Sunday preach every single week for years now. My full, full eight to 12 page notes they get. I want them to look at it. If it's wrong, they must talk to me. We've got to look at it together. If I've put the effort, I don't scribble three lines and an hour and the Lord says and the Lord says and the Lord says, but I've got nothing to show you here. It's a diligent study that gets given to people every week, year in and year out. The guys have got files of my sermons that they can do whatever they want with. That's content. Now, powerful words, page 140. The link between the preacher the prepared or unprepared message and power is admittedly mysterious. The standout characteristic of true preaching is that people know they're hearing from God. I'm gonna talk about that right now. So I just underlined, it's biblical. They're aware, deeply aware of what they're doing. They're free to be led by the Spirit. They themselves, those are all good points. They're aware of the people there. I might touch on a bit of that, but I've got a couple of things I wanna to talk to you about quickly about powerful words, about ministering as an individual. Because God has wired you the way you are. Preaching is a mystery, and it's used so powerfully by God. You have to trust the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to be operating as you faithfully feed his flock. Please very quickly learn the difference between gratitude and expectation. In other words, be grateful God ever uses you. And don't have such a high expectation initially of what God's gonna do every time because you get disappointed quickly. A friend of mine went to go and plant in the United States and one of the first things he did was go and attend an Eric Clapton concert. And it was a small concert in a small place, and it was amazing. And about six months later, church hasn't really grown. It's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. And God spoke to him. And he felt God said to him, you went to that Eric Clapton concert. How was it? He said, no, it was fantastic. He said, right, let me ask you, it was a Friday night. I want to ask you, would you go back every Friday night for six months to listen to him do his set? And would you pay a tenth of your salary to do it? It's like, No. But isn't it strange that you've got a whole lot of people in your church who do exactly that. They come every single Sunday to listen to you and they put a tenth of their salary in the box to be here. Be grateful for what God is doing. Settle your heart with a gratitude rather than expectation that said, we had 30 people this week, I'm trusting for 40 next week, I fasted. I, you know that you lay hands, you throw oil on the, on the, on the uh, chairs and you pray over them and you take authority over the evil spirits in the room and you, you, know, you bind and you, and then next week only 18 people came because it rained. And your expectations get dashed so often, especially in the early years of a new church. A friend of mine leads a church in Cape Town. I said, how, how is it going in terms of attendances? He said, it's fantastic. He said, there's only twice the people don't come to church in Cape Town, when the weather's good and when it's bad. 
So I, I get it. Because when it's good, they want to be out there. When it's bad, they don't want to get wet. Settle for yourself. Lord, I'm so grateful that you've called me. I've heard you. I know it's you. Now, having said that, don't let people's responses or lack thereof determine your sense of self-worth after a preach. Trust the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people try too hard in the flesh and sometimes they, they undercook it because I want it to be so God and I want the proof to be it's God. I'm just gonna stand there. And, you know, we've all done that. Have you ever heard that, the, the, the illustration of uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God? Ever heard that illustration? Who was it again? Edwards. So the, the rumor has it, because I wasn't there. The rumor has it, Jonathan Edwards was in a dark room, he used a little candle thing and he read the preacher out. That's all he did was read the preacher out and all the people got convicted and, 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 and God moved and they fell on the floor and they called out for God and they were saying, God save me and um, an hour meeting turned into a five hour meeting and I heard a guy preach and say, and all he did was stand and preach because the power is in the Holy Spirit. Now listen here. It's very hard to listen to someone or receive from them if they don't really sound convinced. Um, like Wesley said, if I carried on like that and tell you I'm trusting the Holy Spirit, we just close the shop because that's absolute nonsense. There was just a moment where God did something powerfully, but don't tell me that Jonathan Edwards wasn't trying to do his best at the time. God uses what you give him. And so some of you might look and say, well, you know, um, Greg, I don't really have that kind of personality. Well, then maybe you shouldn't be preaching. If you, if you, before you start preaching, start with the excuse that you don't have the goods, then, then you don't have the goods. I know a guy, leads a church in the East Rand of 8,000 people, and he stutters. I chatted with him a couple of months ago, and he said, Greg, it's, it's, it's so good to see you, man. It's, it's, it's. But when he preaches, he preaches like this with the fire of God. And then when he's off, then it's, it's like, I'm just Ronnie Barnard from, from Wurten Lever, 8,000 people church, presence of God hits, people are getting saved. You're like, Ronnie, how does this work? He's like, I don't know. But he stands in that pulpit and he owns the call of God upon his life. I think it was John Wesley once said, they said, how do you preach a good sermon, John Wesley? He said, it's simple. I set myself on fire and I let people watch me burn. But how do you get, how do you own something in scripture that the preacher's not convinced about? See, I just wanna throw a couple of things out here. I just wanna, well, you can go do it in the car park because I need a preacher in this pulpit. Insincerity, exaggeration, docile speaking, conversationalism just doesn't help. If the Lord has called you to preach, preach. I wanna remind you, people receive what you say when they believe in your life and when you carry credibility with them. Be genuine, be real. Invest plenty in their lives outside of the pulpit in order to build bridges of trust with them. Is that okay? Know your limits, friends. Know your limits as to what you can do. And then a funny thing is, almost in conclusion, God uses you. Sometimes there are people who would, God, they just need you. I've often wondered why I preach in a church and I don't get invited back. It's still a mystery to me because I think I'm fantastic. I think I'm fabulous. And I've heard some people say, listen, I'm not inviting you to our church because we want to keep our people. You know what I mean? You're gonna blow them up. But I remember once I'm preaching a sermon. Now listen to that. This is genuine. I'm preaching a sermon one day in our church. And I preached it at the eight o'clock and it was fine. 
And then at the 10 o'clock meeting, I preach the exact same preach, but something comes on me. I don't know, I don't know what it is. And I stand and I say something like this. I said, there are some of you one day that when you die, you are gonna face the wrath of a God who has reached out to you your whole life. He reached out to you, he reached out to you. And you know what you did on earth? All you did on earth was you put your middle finger up and you said, stuff you. And I said, and let me tell you what, the day will come on the internal, I shouted like this, the day will come in the eternal judgment of God where he looks at you and he says, no, stuff you. I said, it's described in the Bible. And then I toned down and I said, it's described in the Bible by the people on that last day wishing the rocks would fall and hide them from the wrath and the anger of God. I said, do you think on God on that day is gonna be John Cleese? Oh, well, I'm a bit sorry that you gotta go to hell. It's the wrath and the anger of God gonna be revealed. Anyway, I'm, and, and I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, why did I say any of that? So I do an altar call. The first guy up is this high, this wide, inked from head to toe, the most famous and infamous bouncer in the history of Johannesburg, Rocky Weinstein. He was uh, sergeant at arms for the nomads of the Hells Angels. Left the Angels, started the Crusaders, the big Crusaders crew, handed that over. Now he's a crew called the Patriots out of our church, strange enough. And Rock came to the front, a Jew. 200 odd fights, never been beaten up in his life has put hundreds and hundreds of people away. And he bowed the knee to Jesus Christ in our church, in a meeting where this thing came over me. I don't know what to do. And I've never done it since or before. God knew this oak was in the meeting, sitting in the back somewhere. Little did I know, his wife had been in our church for four years. His wife and his mother-in-law. I don't know. I mean, they just sit there somewhere. Got his number. By Tuesday, I was seeing him for coffees. Today, his gym works out of our church. We got a motorbike crew called the Patriots. Uh, you open in prayer, you close in prayer. They're not, they're not all Christians, but eight of them come to our church already. There's this whole sense of people are saying, yes, this guy's changed. And sometimes God takes you with your personality, with the right person in the right place at the right time to hear what you've got to say. God doesn't make mistakes. So when he's called you to preach, you need to own preaching. You need to give it your absolute best. But you need to know that God will use who you are. But don't ever hide behind who you are. Remember Moses, I start, I got this, I got this, I got this. God was not happy because God doesn't make mistakes. If God backs you to preach, you gotta back you. You will never see a successful church with poor preaching. You'll never see it. Ever. The rest of the notes you can see all for yourself. Last comment I want to make is page 142 about beating yourself up. I call it the Sunday evening blues. There's only two times I don't sleep at night. Saturday night, do you know I never sleep on a Saturday night? I did an ordination a little while ago. And the young guy, no, no sorry, sorry, a guy was, oh, bye donkey. There's an oak who was going to get ordained. So he said to me, Greg, is there any advice? going to get ordained to take over a church. I said, yeah, of course. I said, I've got two things for you. Number one, just don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. My middle son said one day, he says, dad, I want to I take your church over one day. It's like, oh Lord Jesus, let him do anything else. Because when you lead a church, God and the devil both want to kill you. And don't get out of this thing alive. So I said to him, well, the, the one thing I want to tell you is just don't do it at all. But he did it anyway. 
Then I said to him, the second bit of advice I can give you is sleep well Monday to Friday. Because Saturday night, I still, till today, don't sleep. I 27 years leading a church, and I don't sleep on a Saturday night. I have fitful dreams that there were like 10 people in church the next day, 27 years later. And then Sunday night is worse because I'm second guessing everything I said on Sunday. I just do. I'm like, shush, I wonder if I should have said that. And well, why did I say that? And I wonder who's offended here. And I wonder who's not coming back. Because from time to time, I'm known to say things that I might not have, or maybe perhaps should not have said. And one of our elders' wives is a lawyer. She always sits in the front row. And if she waves at me, she's saying, you're on dangerous ground with the Human Rights Commission now. So just, and then when I see that, I've got to stop. But sometimes when I'm really into it, and she does this, I wave back and I carry on. Yes, she got upset. Eh? And then, uh, and the problem is you're live streaming. So it's going out. You can't just edit it and cut it off. So you, one has to learn to be careful. So what do you do about if you're not confident or you feel you haven't done a great job? Just be honest. If you feel you did the best you can, if you feel you gave God the best that you've got to give at that moment, you can't let the enemy condemn you that you aren't doing great because he will whack at your confidence every single day. Number two, don't ever compare yourself to others. Because you're you. There can be no other person like you. I've got a friendship with a guy, the guy who leads Raymond, Raymond Corley. We just, okay, him and his wife got divorced. And when they remarried him and Zelda, Zelda started coming to our church. And so suddenly, I think he's a little bit concerned. Now, who's this guy that his wife is in the church? Because if she starts to tell him about our marriage, needless to say, within weeks, I get a phone call. Ray wants to have dinner with you. So we sit and we have dinner. Anyway, within... 10 minutes, we've struck up a friendship, swapped numbers, and that was, till today, I'd, I'd lunch with him like last Friday at his house. And um, then he invites me to Roma celebration. <laughs> and uh, there's a little thing called the Eagles, whatever it is behind us, like his office thing. Now I go sit, so he says, Greg, come on. So where he sits, he puts me next to him. Now I want you to picture the scene. There's me next to Ray McCauley. Next to me is Brian Houston. Next to him is Atbosov. Next to him is Rick Godwin. Next to him is... Moses Sona, next to him, and I'm sitting there thinking, Lord Jesus, my entire church is the size of one of their home cells. But you know what? I said to Ray, Ray, I don't, wanna, I don't think I should come to these things of yours behind. Because you know, the, the guy, because I'm so scared that the first question, because the group I come out of, whenever you meet someone, hi, what's your name, how big's your church? Hi, what's your name, how big's your church? Because your pecking order is set on the size of your church. Now sit with these guys I've just mentioned and other names in our country and internationally. And I'm sitting talking with these guys. And do you know, they asked me about my wife. They asked me about my kids. They asked me, what do I think God is saying at the moment? Not one of them asked me the size of our church. Not one of them asked me a question where you're comparing, you're classifying, et cetera, et cetera. I felt so, I actually felt encouraged after that, you know. And then we read his, he had his uh, 65th birthday. I sat at his family table. I had his 70th a little while ago. And I mean, the guys from around the world, even Copeland sending him messages. I mean, these oaks are sending him messages. And I'm sitting there with them. And I realized the guy's putting a value to me on who I am, not on what I'm doing. And I want to remind you, God puts a value to you in who you are. Not on your sense of achievement or accomplishment, because he has to do that. He builds his church. He brings those who need to get saved. All I'm asking you in terms of preaching is get up there, do the best you can with what God's given you, and then learn to sleep easy, knowing you've been faithful with what he gave you. Is that okay? Good, I'm done. You can read all the rest yourself. So 
Are there any, okay, I'm not good on an affirmation, so you don't need to clap. Um, is there anyone who wants to ask me a question? Great. I've got um, two questions, but they're linked and they're double-sided. So the first one is, what are your top three communication tools? And then other side of that, what are your top three communication don'ts? What do you mean by that? So if you were to give, if you had three pieces of advice you could give anyone on communication from a pulpit, what would they be? Okay, let's stop there first. What would they be? All right. Number one, be sincere. How can I expect you to follow me in terms of what God is saying if I'm not sincere? I need to be sincere. Number two, I've got to be confident in what I'm saying. And number three, when I'm up there, I'm expecting God's spirit to move people's hearts. I am expecting him to every time. Because if faith comes by hearing, etc., etc., I have to believe as I'm saying the seed of his word, faith is getting put in people's hearts. I have to believe it. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have three don'ts? Well, uh, let me tell you the chief don't. Don't breathe too long. Is that right? Yeah. If TED Talks are saying 18 minutes is a maximum, don't be that guy who wants to be pulled to put them to sleep and they die so that you can raise them to life again. So can I tell you, I think a good, uh, an excellent communicator can go 30 to 40 minutes. If you're middle of the road, middle of the road, it's, I, my sermons are 25 minutes, 25 to 30, I don't go longer, but it's not about that. It's not about the length, but I would say be careful because what, what I find preachers do, especially lack of confidence or lack of preparation, I find that they repeat themselves. They think the people didn't get it in the first place. So after a while, they go back to that one, then they go, then they go back. Really, they're not sure of the point. So they're trying to make sure of the point. And the poor people, half of whom are very clever, have actually heard all this. That's number one. Number two, don't be distracting. People have these funny mannerisms. Um, yeah, um, and then um. And um, I listened to a guy preach the other day. He said, I love a twin. You must have said about 18 times, I love a twin. I love a twin. I love a twin. I said, I don't care what you love. Just preach the word of God. So that's another thing for me is those, those little irritating things. And number three, when you're in the pulpit, you are a mouthpiece for God himself. So act like it. I had a guy once on my team, and uh, when I spoke to him, uh, I had chatted with him afterwards. He said to me, you don't, you don't let me preach a whole lot. Why not? So I said to him, but you know what? I said, when you're in the pulpit, you change. You become this other person. And I, I don't like it. There's something in you. you. You glory in the lights and you're like a peacock up there. You know what he said to me? He said, actually, I disagree with you, Greg, because I think in those moments, I'm at my most real. I'm at my most anointed. I'm at my most called. I said to him, I hear you, but that's 30 minutes out of seven days. Who are you the rest of the time? Anyway, some things happened in his life. He came to me while later. He said, you called it absolutely. He said, from a very young boy, he said, I've missed affirmation. And I found the crowd looking at me gave me the affirmation I wanted. And I was hungering after that, not ministering to them. He said, you were right on the call. He phoned me one day. He said, I just want you to know God's shown me some stuff. He said, hey, thanks, but you, you, you've got to respect what he's doing. And remember, you're a mouthpiece of his. When they leave, they can't think, who is that guy? And they've got to think, man, God touched me when that oak spoke. What did he preach about three years later? I don't know, but I know God shifted me because he spoke. The second one was the same questions, but around preparation. Yeah. Well, what? So if you could give three points on preparation do's and then three points on preparation don'ts. Is that technical? All right. <laughs> I'd say your first one is start on Monday. Don't, don't wait till Thursday, Friday night. It's got to percolate. Start Monday. 
Number two, do your homework properly. I prepare my full, full, full sermon is done by Wednesday every week because I've got to get it to the audio team, etc. And then I spend Thursday, uh, Friday, I don't think about it at all. I don't, I just try not to. Then Saturday afternoon, I ratchet it up again. And they know, by Sunday morning, I get up early, I've sent them another copy where I've changed things anyway. But it's sat in there from Monday and then I give eight pages of notes out and I preach two because they see where it's coming from. So number one is start Monday. Number two, do absolutely thorough preparation. Uh, let's give only two because I can't make up a third. On the don't do's, don't copy from somebody else because if you're not convinced you're gonna be in trouble. Try to have a restful Saturday before Sunday when you're preaching and Sunday morning, make a commitment with your wife that says we're not gonna fight before church. I promise you, the enemy, you want the enemy to get in Sunday morning before church. Something goes wrong with the dogs, the cats, the neighbors. You fight with each other. You walk in there. The enemy will do what he can. Stay focused on the task and just say, guys, come, we've got a job to do here. I need peace in order to go in there. I can't be wired before I get there. As for me, I get up early before the family and I'm gone already by the time they wake up. So, you know, and I'm being honest. And I walk into our first church services at eight o'clock. You can ask anyone in our church. I walk in those doors at one minute to eight. And sometimes three minutes past eight. And I don't sit in the front row. I sit there or there or there or there. I never sit in the front row of our church because I don't want to get hassled. The, the guys leading the meeting is their job. All they do is look to see I have arrived in case one of them's got to suddenly preach. But I never sit in the front row. I, sit, I, I pick a different spot every single Sunday because I just want to own my space, my time, when it's time for me to preach. And I, I, I know what it's like to arrive at Hopper 7 to love all the people. And from, from the car park to you, I've done 18 counseling sessions. And I'm irritated by the time I get up there. It's not fair on all those hundreds of people who didn't come for the counseling. They come to hear the word. Yeah, that's my little things. Yes, next question. Is that happy? You got your 18 points? Great. Uh, Greg, I quickly want to ask. So when, I think it must be so difficult to preach when you're going through a difficult time. How do you block... Not block it out, but how do you, what do you focus on when you're going through a difficult time not to bring those emotions and those brokenness into your preaching? Um, yeah. It's very hard. Yeah. It's very hard. I've, most of you don't know my story, but I lost my wife after 25 years of marriage. And three weeks after that or four weeks after that, I was in the pulpit again. And the first week I went back to preach, Peter Rasmussen, some of you know Peter. Peter actually arrived just to sit there while I got up to preach. And it was very, very difficult. But you know, one of the things that I felt God showed me was that his call came on my life when I was 18 years old. And it was a call from then until I die. Hensia came into my life at one point and she left at one point, but the call didn't. And so I had to make the shift that says, Lord, me, her, everyone else around us, we do what we do because of him. And so you, that's why I said, who is Jesus? You're the supremacy of Christ. It's in my whole little point I made just now, it who's the supremacy of Christ to me, not to them. That's why Paul says, I, want, I resolve to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified because that centers my sense of call and my sense of mission. That's why, you know, in a Philippian jail, he's singing praises to God when he's just been whipped. Most of us have handed in our resignation. I'm going on three months sabbatical now because of what's just happened. He's straight away the next day is preaching off to the next place because that thing has consumed him. Now, when that happens, the, the space you're in should not dictate the faithfulness of God. If you run the risk of making it your story, rather get someone else to preach. 
until your heart is clean on that. That makes sense. Okay. Brad. How's it, Greg? Um, eight questions. Hello. I'm only joking. I'll, I'll just go down to two. Hello. <laughs> Do I want to go sit next to him? <laughs> uh, first one. Uh, preaching series and uh, kind of a preaching plan. How far ahead do you plan? And just some maybe tips on preparing a preaching series. And the other one is um, preaching translocally, going into another church. What are you kind of listening for, thinking about, talking to, to try and determine what's needed translocally? Okay, let's do the first one first. Uh, in terms of series, I never look more than one series at a time. Certain guys do. They can go three, four months in advance, break it up. I'm very much a prophetic preacher now. That's how I roll. So every, although I preach a series, of course, everyone is a standalone based on the text that's being used. So I've learned I don't do two and a half uh, year series anymore. I did an introduction to Acts was 33 weeks and I'm in chapter six. So I realized I'm in trouble again. And then God starts to show me other stuff, you know that. So I try not to do, I try now to go no more than a month at a time if I can, at the most in terms of planning ahead because as the wind blows where it wants and you don't know where it comes, I, I think there's gonna be times where God's just doing something and I've gotta to learn to, to catch the wind with him. It doesn't mean I'm preaching here, there, there. I discussed it with the eldership team. We've prayed through. I know the theme of where God's going now, but I will try and reset the course every four weeks or so. That's me. When it goes to other churches, I'm gonna go preach. I just start waiting on God weeks before and I let him speak to me about what's needed in the church and then I prepare accordingly. And I've preached stuff at other churches. I've never, ever gone back to preach at our church because it doesn't seem to be what God is saying for us at the moment. So that's how I do it. I know sometimes it is wise uh, to go from a team perspective, to ask someone who's been in your church in the last while, go back to them and say, what, what did you pick up? What did you preach on? I would tend to do that if I feel a church is struggling. Then I'll say, how many guys have you had in recently? They say, no, none, but I had that guy then and I had that guy there or I had that girl there. Then I'll try and get hold of them and just say, what, what did you pick up? so that I can be faithful to look into the foundations of the church, to strengthen them. Yeah. Anyone else? Are you walking? Everyone gets quiet. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. No one else. No questions. One right at the back. Ryan. How's it, Greg? Um, how much time, effort do you put in um, raising up preachers? So giving other guys opportunity, are you training them regularly? Or are you kind of saying, we'll work it out as we go along? Are you just critiquing as you pick up stuff? Are you just trusting guys at times saying, well, you be you, and if something's completely off, I'll, I'll address it? Like how much time, effort, That's a good question. You That's a good question. Guys? I'm not even the right guy to ask that question to because my admin is so poor. So let me be honest with you. I hardly ever listen to a preach that someone in our church has preached. One of our guys, hardly ever, that I can think of. Uh, because I trust them. But let me tell you, if the other elders say to me, listen, you better listen to that, then I will. And I'll deal, and I, it happened once. I got a, a someone in and, I, and the comments made, I had to go and listen to it. And I thought, hey, there's a couple of things here that's not helpful. But in terms of my own team, uh, they preach whenever I'm not around. 
Uh, and then what I try and do, because sometimes we've got three meetings on a Sunday. During COVID, we had five meetings on a Sunday. Then I just pick different guys to do each one. So if, like once I went away for two weeks in a row, that's five sermons, there's 10 opportunities. I literally gave 10 gaps and just let people preach. And on, a, on, a, on, on most Sundays, I'll either let one guy or I'll let two guys preach, one the eight, one the 10, when I'm not there to up their, their preaching thing. And often they send me their notes because they want to know what I think. And then I'll just make things, red lines, I'll ask this, ask that, send it back and still let them preach what they wanna preach. And then questions they have around teaching like this, I just help the guys on how to preach, how to share, how to communicate. The problem is I don't wanna turn them into me if their gift set's different. So I try not to be, you know, I try to just keep it open, if you like. But I, I, I don't second guess them, I don't tell them what to preach. And uh, I hardly ever listen to what they said. I got it by this point, I gotta trust them. Uh, that they know what they're doing. If people have a problem, I'll get onto it quickly. That's it. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to go to ncmi.net for more resources.